Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Amen. Good morning, church. I feel like Hulk Hogan up here. Let's try that again. Good morning, church. That's a little better. Thank you. Some of you know me that I like a little audience participation when possible. So I just want to welcome you this morning. It's so good to see all of you. Um, And I am humbled to bring the message this morning. Um, Before I get into the message, do you guys mind if if I share a few celebrations from VBS this past week? Would that be okay? Remember, audience participation is important. Would that be okay? All right, perfect, excellent. All right, so as many of you know, if you've been here in the last several weeks or even the last couple months, you know that our goal this year was to serve 300 kids through VBS this year. I am, well, before I even get to that number, we knew it was gonna take us about 200 volunteers to be able to serve those 300 kids. So I am tickled, honored, privileged to say that our final count this year, this past week, was 322 kids registered. How about that? And to be clear, that's 322 kids that got to hear the gospel proclaimed boldly. We we had over 250 volunteers. Now, to be clear, I don't know what the final number of volunteers was because by the end of the week, we had people showing up because they'd heard it was a great week and they just wanted to serve. And so I couldn't keep track of all of them, but we had over 250. So also last week, Pastor Michael shared that VBS is an opportunity for us to bless the nations as we help get the gospel to the unreached parts of the earth. So with that in mind, the offering taken up at VBS every year goes to one of our mission partners. And this year that went to uh, our partner in Nicaragua because we care ministries. So every year we collect an offering. Um, Let me give you a little history. In 2018, we collected about $3,500 through VBS. That that was awesome, right? 2019, our goal, we we cranked it up. Our goal was $4,000. We brought in $6,700 to bless our friends down in Nicaragua. This year, I'll be honest with you, I had to change the goal three times, all right, just to, just to be clear, because I, I was astounded each and every day. So our final goal that we settled on to bless our friends in Nicaragua was $5,500. That was our third and final goal. Um, so by the end of the week, we had brought in, our kids had given on the nose $10,000. Now, that's a big number, right? That's a big number. Think about what you could do with $10,000. Think about what we can do in ministry with $10,000. But I want to make sure that we all understand that $10,000 in Nicaragua goes a whole lot farther than it does here. And so we can use $10,000 to provide thousands upon thousands upon thousands, and one more time, upon thousands of meals to kids and families in Nicaragua as our ministry partner seeks to share the gospel with them. So that food provides a bridge, gives us the right to share the gospel. And so that's a huge celebration as well. Lastly, these numbers are important because of the lives they represent, right? But the biggest, most important part of EBS are the lives that are changed forever by decisions that are made for Christ. So with, with that said, I am honored to say we had over 50 kids make decisions for Christ with 15 of those 
being salvations. 15 kids accepted Christ as Lord and Savior last week. That's a huge praise. Now we had another five that said, hey, I've, I've been saved. I've accepted Jesus as Savior. It might've been two weeks ago. It might've been three years ago. But five more kids said, you know what? I need to be obedient and I need to get baptized. We have 15 salvations, five that are gonna get baptized next time we have that. So how about that? <laughs> Praise God for how he worked last week. Church, I wanna thank you for all the ways that you supported VBS this year. It was such a resounding celebration of the life of our church and the life of so many kids and their families here around the valley and even in the lives of kids and families down in Nicaragua. The ways that you all shared, the ways that you all invited, the ways that you all prayed, the ways that you gave and served all played a vital role in this year's VBS. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. As you might recall, or you might have seen on the screen just a few minutes ago, the uh, theme for this year was unearthing the truth about Jesus. And our main passage was from Jeremiah 29, 13. If you, or you will seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. So every day of EBS, we had a very specific truth that was applicable to that day. Everything we did revolved around the truth of that day. Day one, our kids got to learn about how Jesus came as promised. Day two, we got to learn about how Jesus demonstrated God's power. And then on day three, we got to learn the difficult truth that Jesus was betrayed and rejected. Day four, that was the day we got to hear about Jesus' death, but more importantly, about how he rose again. That was the day that the gospel was boldly proclaimed. And then on day five, we come to our final truth of the week. The Bible is true. Now, I gotta be honest with you, from the first day I began preparing for VBS, months ago, as I'm looking through the curriculum, we, you know, God led me to this particular curriculum that we were using, but this day five truth just didn't hit me right, didn't sit well, and I don't know why, but I, it just, I couldn't get away from it. It seemed to me that maybe this day five truth, the Bible is true, it seemed like everything else we did that week rested on that truth, right? All of, everything we talked about rests on the fact that the Bible is true. And so I'm thinking, why was this not on day one? I couldn't get away from it. So then as I began praying about, so let's fast forward, began praying about what message I was gonna bring today, I still couldn't get away from it. Um, and even the Bible passage that went along with it from Acts chapter eight about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. So let me share a little secret with some of you who may not know me as well as others. Now my dad is here, so he might know this well. Um, but some of you know this about me, but I am sometimes a little slow on the uptake. You, you following me? You with me? Um, so sometimes it takes a little longer for me to recognize, and maybe it should, that, oh, wait a minute, is this, is this the Holy Spirit nudging me? Is, is, he, is, is the Holy Spirit trying to lead me down a path that I'm just not seeing? So several weeks ago, I don't know, maybe a month ago, uh, right before Pastor Matthew left for sabbatical, he and I were meeting, and he said to me, hey, Chris, you know, what are you, what are you doing? Where are you going to go with your message? And I'll be honest, I was still wrestling. I had, I, I, I had no clue. I was like, man, he's not gonna like to hear the answer right before he leaves. He probably wants this stuff to be done and together, but I gotta be honest. I said, Pastor Matthew, I don't know. I don't have a clue. I got no clue where I'm going. And thankfully, he didn't like say, get out, we'll find somebody else, right? He said, Chris, brother, I am not telling you what to preach. And this is where God showed up for me, guys. I'm not telling you what to preach because that's between you and God. But have you by chance looked at the last day's passage? I was like, hold up. I've been looking at that a lot and really not sure, Lord, I hear you. I got it loud and clear. 
So today's message is simple. God says go from Acts chapter eight. And while this title is short, sweet, and seemingly simple, I think we can all agree if we're honest with ourselves and with those around us, that our response to this message may not be so simple. My guess is actually, in fact, that it's gonna be difficult. It's a challenging response for some of us, maybe most of us, maybe even all of us. So we're gonna be in Acts chapter eight, verses 26 to 40. But before we go there, I wanna share a little bit of background about one of the main characters of this passage, and that is Philip. So Philip was a Hellenistic Jew, meaning he'd adopted more of the Greek culture and lifestyle and languages than most of the Jews in and around Jerusalem at this time. This will matter as we get further into the passage, but it's also important to know that Philip was not the Philip who was the apostle, different guy, right? So this guy was one of the original seven deacons chosen by the church in Jerusalem to serve the, the body of Christ. Interestingly enough, uh, and that was, back, by the way, that was in Acts chapter six where that happened, but interestingly enough, Philip seemed to take the call from Jesus found in Acts chapter one, verse eight, more seriously than the apostles. So Philip was a deacon. He was here to serve, not to teach, not to preach. He was called to serve, but he took Acts 1.8 from Jesus more seriously. And that Acts 1.8 says, you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. The apostles were doing a great job preaching and sharing the word in Jerusalem and and even Judea, but Samaria... Not so much. Keep in mind, the apostles were Jewish, and culturally speaking, there was a huge divide between the Jews and Samaritans. Uh, those, the Jews looked at the Samaritans as half-breeds, as dirty, and to be clear, their religious views were very, very different. Most self-respecting Jews wouldn't even go to Samaria, much less interact with Samaritans. So except Jesus, right? And then here comes Philip. Philip, another Jew, who said, okay, I'm going to Samaria. So Philip leaves his comfortable little box in Jerusalem, and he goes to Samaria to preach Christ to the Samaritan people. What, uh, sorry, not religion, but Christ. They already had the religion with all its rules and traditions and checkboxes. But what they needed was Christ. So here's Philip, a Jew, preaching Christ in Samaria, and God is using him in a mighty way as many lives are transformed by the power of the gospel. So if you've got your Bible, I want to ask you to go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 26. And if you're able to stand with me, if, if, if you would, please stand with me so we can read God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. The text will be up on the screen so you can follow along as well. All right, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. And he arose and went, and behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, sitting in his chariot, reading the prophet Isaiah, and the the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. And when Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me, of whom does a prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. 
And as they went along a road and they came to some water, the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all cities until he came to Caesarea. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the fact, God, that you've gotten us all here safely today, Lord. Lord, you brought us all here for a very specific reason. Lord, I pray that, uh, God, that you would move me out of the way, Lord. God, that whatever is said this morning right here, right now, God, is of you, is not of me, Lord, but is fully of you. Father, I pray for each person in this room, they would uh, be convicted, Lord, that you would reveal something to them that you need them to do in response to your call. We love you and thank you. It's in God's name that I pray, amen. All right, so a little recap here. So here we see Philip leaving Samaria and heading off to a desert road where he meets up with the Ethiopian eunuch. A little audience participation. We've, tried, we've practiced this a couple times already. So here we go. Raise your hand. Be honest if you know what a eunuch is. Raise your hand. How many we got? All right, so far the second service is the winner of the competition. All right, so that's where all the, apparently the saints are or something. Um, all right, so let's, we've talked about Philip a little bit. Let me give you a little background on the Ethiopian eunuch. All right, so in biblical times, a eunuch was basically a male royal servant of the queen. The queen. Everybody got that? It's worth noting in those times, kings could not be bothered with the day-to-day affairs of running the kingdom. So the queens handled that responsibility. This passage referred to the queen as Candace. I want to make sure we state, just as a side note, that Candace was her title, not her name. All right? Um, Let's see. So back to the eunuch. This Ethiopian eunuch basically handled the financial affairs for the kingdom, uh, of the kingdom, for the queen. In other words, he was a pretty important guy, right? He's like the director of finance. Back to the passage, it tells us that the eunuch had been in Jerusalem to worship, but to be clear, he was worshiping the God of Israel, not Jesus the Messiah. It would seem that he didn't find what he was looking for in Jerusalem. And so here he is reading from his Bible, the book of Isaiah. Philip comes along, jumps up in the chariot, and offers to help him understand what he's reading while leading him into the open arms of Christ. So today I want to share what God has laid on my heart from this passage on Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And as I've mentioned already, the title is God Says Go. The response to this message may be challenging, but I want us to look at three things that are required of us if we are to go. I want you to, I want to encourage you to examine your life today and in the coming days and how you might need to respond to this message and to what God is calling you to today. All right, number one, going requires submission and obedience. In verse 26, we see that an angel of the Lord brought God's calling to Philip and told him to go down to the desert area. Angel didn't give him an exact location, didn't give him a reason he was gonna go, and certainly didn't give him a person that he was going to go see. I want you to take a moment and think about the last time someone asked you to go somewhere. Maybe your spouse said, hey, can you go to Food Lion or to the grocery store? Maybe one of your kids said, hey, can we go to Target? or any other, any other number of examples. Now let's, let's, let's add to that question for a moment. Have you ever been asked to go somewhere without being told why, where, or who you were going to see? Think about that for a moment. 
So some of you know my son, Coop. He's, a, as they say, a chip off the old block. Some people call him my mini-me. And so there's some things about us that are very, very similar. One of the things that we have in common is that many of our daily and honestly even momentary decisions are made with food being a primary consideration. It's important to know. So sometimes that impacts our ability to communicate, to articulate whatever it is we're trying to say, and even to think. All right? So it's not unusual for Coop to, to come, come downstairs. Manny and I are sitting there on the couch, and he says, hey, Dad, Mom and Dad, can one of y'all go to the store? And then he literally turns around and walks off. So we're left thinking, um, maybe, but for what? What's the need? Do we need milk? Are you in need of some granola bars? Like, do you need another pair of shoes because you've outgrown 18 in the last week? Like, what, what is the need, right? So here's what we've learned. Regardless of the reason that he wants us or is asking us to go to the store, sometimes he withholds the details because he knows we might say, nope, right? Got a little amen out there. All right, so I'm not suggesting that the angel or God was withholding those details from Philip because he was afraid of Philip saying no. Clearly, Philip's response was to get up and go. No questions asked. He submitted to God's plan for, the, for that moment in his life and obeyed God's call to go. Here's my question to you. When was the last time that God asked you to go? When was the last time God called you to go? To serve someone, to tell someone about Jesus, to be a light in your community, whatever that call was, but instead of responding in submission and obedience to him, you asked questions, you stalled, or maybe you did something completely different. In other words, you told God no. That's a tough question. It's a pretty direct question. And some of you in the room are probably thinking, I can't believe this dude is calling me out like that, right? Who does he think he is? He don't even know me. I mean, this is his first time preaching right? Yes. Actually, it's my third time today, right? Um, so yes, this is my first time up here preaching. And you might be right. I might not know you. But here's what I do know. I know myself. And I know that I'm not alone. And I want you to know that you're not alone either. So let me sh share a little bit about my story to help, help with the illustration here. For those that don't know or don't know much about me, I'm married to the most intelligent, creative, driven, and beautiful woman I've ever seen. I think she's probably gone. After dancing three times on the stage, she's probably gone. But she can move. Her name is Mandy. She can move as we all got to experience this morning. Um, she's probably not real happy that I included this in this message, but that's all right. But we are humbled to have two amazing kids, Cammie and Coop. Cammie is a rising junior at TA. Coop's a rising seventh grader at Pence. And every single day, they make us proud, and we are reminded we have no clue why God chose us to be their parents. We got no clue. We don't, they're out of our league. They're special, and yes, I'm biased. Again, a little bit more about me. So I'm still new to ministry. So this past week was my three-year anniversary being in ministry full-time. Um, and so before that, I was a camp director for 20 years, right? So when I came out of college, I knew without a shadow of doubt that God was calling me to minister to kids in a non-Christian setting, to be a light in an otherwise dark place. 
So fast forward to 2015, I was on the verge of realizing the biggest dream I had ever dreamed. I had a partner, we had a plan, and I was about to build from the ground up and own and start my own camp, right? 2015, six years ago. Now, for those that don't have a lot of experience in that camp world, just wanna make sure we're on the same page, that camp is not just a June to August kind of deal, right? Camp is a year-round gig, and in, that, in my case, we were looking at a multi-million dollar year-round operation. So it was, it was a big deal. So here I am, less than a month from signing paperwork to realize this dream, and God brings me to my knees. That's right, he brought me to my knees. Remember I mentioned earlier that I'm a little bit slow on the uptake, right? Well, God had been gradually breaking me over the course of a couple of years, and it finally culminated in October of 2015 when I realized that I'd been telling God no for six years. So I was tired of fighting, I was tired of running, and I finally submitted. I said, okay, God, what is it that you want from me? What is it that you want for me? God, how can you use me, this guy? I submitted to his plans for me, not my plans for me. I chose to be obedient to his ways, not my own. And in doing so, everything changed. A future that had been clear and exciting now became cloudy and, to be honest, unnerving. And when I say unnerving, I mean like scary. I was like, whew, I don't know about this, Lord. But I want to be clear about something. I've loved Jesus since I was 11 years old. Remember, slow on the uptake, right? I've loved Jesus since I was 11. I was led to the Lord by the most faithful, godly woman I have ever known. And that's my Grandma Smith. She discipled me early on and helped keep me pointed towards Jesus. In fact, now just a little side note, I got a whole row right here of my Grandma Smith's children that are in this room, my aunts and uncles, my dad. I don't know that they know this, but this Bible that I'm reading from today is the Bible she gave me when I was saved. So she was really important and really a major part of my story. But the older I got, I wasn't as faithful. I strayed. Oftentimes, my choices in life didn't reflect that of a, of a committed follower of Christ. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 say, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I trusted him, but I certainly wasn't relying on him and following his paths, his understanding, etc. So what was unnerving about this new future in ministry? It's pretty simple for me, and that is the devil was doing a work in me. He was trying to, he was trying to just take over. And as a result, my first question to God was, really, me? You don't want me. You can't use this guy. You know what I've done. You know what I've been. You know the things that I've seen. But in spite of my insecurities and self-doubt, I obeyed his call to go. I'm gonna pause the story there, but I'll come back to it here shortly. So let's jump back into our passage and we're gonna look at verses 27 and eight. I would suggest that even the eunuch was feeling the tug, feeling the, the, the call to go. After all, he traveled hundreds of miles to go to Jerusalem to worship the God of Israel, only to start the trip right back home because he felt unfulfilled and still seeking the truth. So here we have a man who was lost. Again, he's unsaved. He is destined for hell, but he's seeking truth and God sends Philip, being guided by the Spirit and submitting in obedience to God's call to go. So how about you? 
God says go. Have you submitted to his plans for you and obeyed his call to go? We've got a reflection question on the worship guide, and I'm going to challenge you with this question. I want you to pray about it, and if God convicts you right there in your seat, or maybe he convicts you later, I want you to write in your notes the answer to this question. What does God's calling to go mean in and for your life? It's different for each one of us. For me, it was ministry. For you, it may be something completely different. So we see that going requires submission and obedience, and now we're going to see that going requires action and boldness. So in verses 30 to 35, we see multiple examples of Philip and the eunuch both taking action and being bold. Before we dive in, I want to give a little bit more relevant context here. Verse 30 talks about the eun- or Philip hearing the eunuch read aloud. So this is relevant because in biblical times, it was very normal to read aloud, and especially in this case because the eunuch, who's from Ethiopia, is reading the book of Isaiah likely from a Greek translation. And then here we have Philip. Remember, he's a Hellenistic Jew. He's well-versed in the Greek language, right? Sounds like a coincidence, doesn't it? Well, I'm not going to tell you what to think, what to do, but I'll tell you about my God. He's not a God of coincidence. He's a God of purpose. He's a God of power. He's a God of planning. So there was no coincidence here. In Psalm 37:23, David wrote, the steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Moving down to verse 32 and 3, The eunuch is reading what we now know as Isaiah 53, in which Isaiah prophesied about the suffering servant. But this particular moment was really focused on verses 7 and 8 that highlighted Jesus being the willing sacrifice for sinners, even to the point of losing his human rights. All right, so let's dive in a bit here to this idea that going requires action and boldness. First, let's look at the actions. In verse 30, we see that Philip ran up to the chariot. There's an action. Then he spoke up and asked the eunuch if he understood what he was reading. And then in verse 31, we see the implication that he sat in the eunuch's chariot. And then jumping down to 35, we see that he preached Jesus to the eunuch. The eunuch then took action as well. Verse 31 and 34, he freely conversed with this complete and utter stranger from a different place that looked very different than he did. So how many examples of boldness do we see in these five verses? The best example of boldness in this passage, in my opinion, is a simple reality that Philip had no clue what God was up to. He didn't fully understand the mission. But what did he do? He went anyway. He submitted and he obeyed. We have no indication that Philip was, uh, that he was nervous, that he was concerned, insecure, or afraid. But we have every indication that he took action and he was bold. I see boldness in the fact that these two complete strangers from foreign lands, completely foreign to each other, and very different to each other, engaged one another in conversation about what the eunuch was reading. Philip was bold in that he was willing to ask the hard question. Now, the hard questions are different for each one of us. Some of you are like, what are the hard questions? You could ask me some about Greek? No, I'm not talking about those hard questions. Let me give you some examples of some potentially hard questions. I'll start simple. How are you doing? And mostly, most of the time, what do we respond Okay, fine, good, Miss Jerry does this, right? Okay, so how are you doing? Okay, fine, tired, good. No, seriously, how are you doing? How is your heart doing? How can I pray for you? How can I minister to you? How can I help you? How was your relationship with the Lord? How about your relationship with your spouse or your significant other 
or your brother or your sister? These are just a few of the questions that start down the path of being hard questions. But how about that Ethiopian eunuch? He was equally bold as he responded with honesty and with a major dose of vulnerability when he basically said, I need your help. I don't understand what I'm reading. And I need someone to guide me. So Philip jumps up in the chariot and together they begin pouring over the word of God. When was the last time you were truly honest and vulnerable with someone? When was the last time that you were honest about your junk, about your struggles, about the ways and places that you're hurting? Let's just get, let's, let's get real for just a, just a moment, all right? Some of you know this about me. I like to get real. Put it on the table. How many times have you been driving to church on a Sunday morning and either you or people in your car or all of you are struggling, like seriously struggling, right? Maybe it's an attack from the devil, but there's a, there's a bunch of not so good stuff going on in the car. The, the type where you get to the parking lot and you're like, hey, fix your face. We're at church. Straighten up. We're not getting out of this car until everybody smiles. So clearly, I'm not the only one who's been there. Thank you for, for the... The reassurance, I was getting a little nervous. Thank you, thank you. So here's the deal. It's like church is a place we have to come and be perfect. It's like we have to show up and, and we're fixed, right? Here's a little news flash for you. Church is for the brokenhearted. Church is for the hurting, right? So why do we think that we gotta get it together before coming in here and giving it all to God. Why do we think we have to get it together before submitting to his plan for us? Why do we think we have to fix ourselves before he can save us? I don't know the answer. Well, I think I do. I think it's pride. I think it's the devil. I think there's a lot of reasons. But there are passages throughout scripture in which God reveals to us his strength and his desire to love us and care for us. So I'm gonna share a few with you. First Peter chapter five, verses five, six, and seven. Peter wrote, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the, under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, nine, and he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And one of my favorite verses of scripture is Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So I ask again, why do we think we've got to get it together before approaching the throne of our almighty God. While we may often think it, we gotta come to a place where we understand and accept that it's just not true. It's a lie from the devil. And as Pastor Matthew once said, I think it was fall of 2017 where I had this quote in my notes. Satan will give you every excuse possible to lead you away from what God has called you to in life. So yesterday, again, this is my first time doing this, right? Yesterday I'm reviewing my notes. And I'm going to guess I reviewed them about 37,000 times yesterday. Um, 
But as I got to this particular section of my notes, God kind of laid something on my heart that hadn't been there the previous 36,999 times. And it's a, it reminded me of a song that speaks this idea of how we are to come to Jesus. And I want to read to you today, keyword, read to you, the chorus. I am not Pastor Scott. I'm not Pastor Matthew, so I will not be singing to you, all right? So let me just read you the chorus of this song, Just As I Am. I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcomed with open arms Praise God, just as I am. We are not the fixers. He is the fixer. So we gotta get that through our heads. That let him fix us. So I don't know about you. You know, if you don't know this about me, again, we've already kind of said this, but I'm typically a pretty straightforward kind of cards on the table kind of guy. Sometimes to my detriment, right, Dad? Sometimes it gets me in trouble. But that is how God designed me. So with that in mind, I'm gonna jump back in a little bit of my story. I hit the pause button about the point where I was explaining that in spite of my insecurities and self-doubt about how God could use a bum like me, I submitted to his plan and obeyed his call to go. To be clear, I had no clue what that meant. I didn't know what going meant in my life in this situation. All I knew is what God was calling and my yes was on the table. So what did I do? I prayed, I sought godly counsel, I met with pastors in my life, I met with deacons and pastors council members from this church and other people in my life that were mature followers of Christ. I prayed more, I tried to find the answer in his word. But I didn't feel like God was giving me any clear direction. I didn't feel like he was showing me his plan for my life and how I could get there. Some of you in this room might remember those days. I grew frustrated. I grew weary. I began doubting again. And then on a Sunday morning in July of 2017, my family and I were on a vacation in the Outer Banks, and we were sitting in this cool little surf shack, aptly named the Surf Shack, and we we're watching the service online on the biggest TV I've ever seen in my life. And we're watching online, and the Lord convicted me of the fact that while I had said yes, I wasn't all in. It was in that moment, as Pastor Matthew preached from Joshua chapter one, that God revealed to me the reason he wasn't showing me his plans is because I wasn't taking action. I wasn't being bold and taking the first step that he revealed to me, that he'd already laid out. So I did just that. I took the first step in faith and in obedience. Guess what happened next? He showed me the next step. I took that one, and then he showed the next step. It was like every time I took a step in obedience, he almost immediately showed me the next step that he wanted me to take. Here I am today, on the heels of EBS, preaching my first sermon. Yet another step in obedience. My story is an illustration of what I'm guessing many of us are probably guilty of doing as it relates to God plans for our lives. We withhold our action and our boldness because we want to see and understand the entire plan. We want to have our 
hand on that yes. So that if we don't like exactly where God shows us the end, the, the, where we're really going, we can pull it back off the table. But that's not how God works. And it's certainly not demonstrating our trust in him and his sovereignty. Church, God says go. It requires us to take action and be bold, not to sit tight, to research all the options, get all this information together and await this loud, powerful voice from the sky to come down and sketch out this plan for us. That's not how it works. We must submit to and obey to his plans for our lives and take action by being bold, knowing he's got us. Reflection question number two in your notes there, I wanna challenge you to pray about this. And again, if he convicts you of a response, make a note, continue praying about it and take action. What action do you need to take and or in what area do you need to be bold? So we've talked about going requires submission and obedience. It requires action and boldness. And lastly, it requires perseverance. So let's look back at Philip's journey for just a moment. We don't truly know a ton about Philip and his life. Luke, who is the author of Acts, introduces us to Philip in Acts chapter six when he's chosen as one of the original deacons, the group of men, again, that were chosen to serve the needs of the church so that the apostles could continue preaching and focusing on the ministry of the church. And the next time we read about Philip is in Acts chapter eight, earlier in the chapter, where he leaves Jerusalem. He leaves that comfortable little box and he goes to Samaria to preach and tell people about Jesus. Revival broke out. There was a ton of response. God used this man who has been chosen to serve, not to teach or preach, but to serve. He used him to start the revival in Samaria. He's having all kinds of success winning souls to Christ in Samaria. And suddenly God sends an angel to tell him, hey, it's time to pack up and go. We're gonna get out of here. I know you're doing great, but you're moving on. So he sends him to the desert without any knowledge of what it, why he's going or what he's to do once he gets there. He continues to submit to God's plan and obey his calling and heads out there to the desert. He gets there and runs into this fancy procession of the eunuch, right? The spirit tells him to go to the eunuch, go to his chariot. He takes action by running up to his chariot. He responds in boldness by asking the hard question. And then in verse 35, we're told that he preached Jesus to the eunuch. We'll see in the next few verses that the evidence suggests the eunuch responded with a resounding yes to the gospel. Yet another win for Philip in his effort to win souls for Christ. Clearly, Philip has already demonstrated a ton of perseverance. He followed God's plan wherever it led him. As we read through the end of chapter eight, we see Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch. And when they come out of the water, the spirit snatched Philip away. Poof, he gone. Then Philip finds himself in another town altogether. He passes through that town and the Bible says in verse 40 that he kept preaching the gospel to all cities until he came to Caesarea. The next time and only time we see Philip in the Bible from this point forward is about 20 years later in Acts 21 where Paul visits with Philip who was still living in Caesarea. So he settled down there. He's gotten married. He's had four daughters. He's still an evangelist and he's raised his family in the ways of the Lord. So just a little bit we know about Philip, it's clear that he demonstrated perseverance. Philip's life, at least the parts that God chose to reveal to us in his word, is a story of perseverance. He submitted and obeyed. He took action and was bold. And through it all, he persevered. God says go. Are you submitting to his plans to go? 
Are you obeying his call in your life? God says go. Are you taking action and being bold for Christ? God says go. The final question I've got for you to reflect on today is what would it look like for you to persevere for Christ? And I mean truly persevere for Christ. I don't mean sitting here when it's 73 degrees as opposed to 69. I mean truly persevere for Christ. Only you can answer these questions, and quite frankly, the answers to the questions will look very different for each one of us, depending on where we are in life, depending on where we are in our walk with Christ. But let me challenge you with this. Jesus did not come so that we could sit in this room on Sunday mornings and be comfortable. Jesus did not come for our comfort. Jesus came to transform us. He didn't come simply so that we could punch our ticket to heaven. He came to transform the world that we live in. But church, it's gotta be clear that our lives are not transformed simply by us coming and sitting and listening on a Sunday morning. Each of us has to submit and be bold for Christ. And it's so, so much more. God, God has a plan for our lives. But it's so much more than just going all the places, doing all the things, making all the money, paying all the bills, and having all the fun. Those things might be part of God's plan. They can be good. And again, they can be part of God's plan for our lives. But his plan doesn't start, nor does it end with those things. Before moving back to the valley in 2012, my wife and I, or my family and I lived in Roanoke. We're really connected to our church there, First Roanoke. It was pastored by Dr. Brian Smith. So Pastor Brian is an old soul, much like Pastor Matthew, except Brian is 25 years ahead of, uh, of Pastor Matthew on the old part. Um, but he's an incredible man of God. And just a few years ago, he was one of the men that I met with as I was trying to figure out what God was calling me to. And Pastor Brian made a very simple statement, and I wanna share that with you today. He said, Chris, my brother, we've all got to realize it ain't just about getting to heaven. It's about seeing how many people we can take with us. Simple but powerful. Church, Jesus came to save us. He came to save you. He came to save me. As Romans 10, 13 says, he came to save anyone willing to call on his name as Lord and Savior. But church, we got a world full of people who don't know Jesus as their Savior. We got a bunch of people here in the valley that don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Church, I would, I would say that we have people today in this room that don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So are you willing to let go of your plan for your life? Are you willing to let go of all the things that you think you have and you need to do and all these things and submit to God's plan for your life? Are you willing to obey his calling, to take action and to be bold? Are you willing to persevere for Christ? Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.